Hello and welcome to the most recent episode of Built Podcast with all the student fellows here today. You've got me, Owen Barlow, the Wellbeing the Curriculum Project Coordinator. And me, Emily, the, running the project for students as researchers. I'm Toby and I'm working on active collaborative learning. I'm Marnie and I'm working on authentic and challenge-led learning. So this actually seems like quite a pertinent place to start because it's just taken us about half an hour to try and set this call up. Um, how have you guys been dealing with the transition to digital teaching and what sort of challenges have you guys found you've been facing so far? I've been finding seminars quite hard, like firstly because my laptop's pretty old and my Wi-Fi is pretty dodgy. Um, but also I really don't like the fact that you can't see any faces when you're talking. I find it really difficult to... Uh, uh, connect with the discussions but there's also been some positive things about it as well there's been a lot more time for personal research and when writing essays you are basically locking yourself away and you you're locking yourself away for weeks anyway so I think there's been good and bad things but overall I think it's been pretty challenging what about you Emily how have you been um, managing to work on your research and uh, without the libraries um, well, so as a um, postgrad researcher, obviously I didn't really have any contact hours beforehand, so I haven't really noticed much of a difference with that. But it has been really difficult not being able to go to the library because obviously um, researchers are quite isolated anyway. So going to the library is kind of like your social space. So I think it's definitely been challenging because I feel like I haven't had as many people to connect with and talk to. But also it's kind of, I think because we're in this lockdown, it's forcing people to try and be more social to make up for that gap. And so... We've been having a lot of postgraduate researcher like quizzes and events and stuff that maybe wouldn't have happened so much otherwise. And also like the English department is setting up a conference, like an online conference, which again is something quite nice. It'll be a place for everybody to come and share their research. So I think we're drawing a lot of positives out of it as well, but it has been difficult. No, it has been really nice to sort of see how people have been able to, to rise to some of the challenges and yeah, like you say, kind of try and break through those barriers with organising events. But yeah, it's... Um, it is difficult. Uh, what about you, Owen? I guess you, out of all of us, still have quite a lot of teaching still going on, do you? Yes, I have quite a bit. I've still got like ongoing seminars and we had a dissertation roundtable, which is kind of where you discuss your dissertations with your peers and all the academics in the department, which mine is liberal arts, um, for around like 15 minutes and everyone kind of like prompts a discussion about each other's dissertations and it was actually a really fruitful discussion and I enjoyed that however like because of my poor bandwidth and wi-fi connection like I couldn't have my camera on so I was just kind of and I couldn't see anyone so I was just kind of speaking to like a black screen about my dissertation and it, it was it was odd it's it kind of felt a bit yeah. like post-human you know <laughs> um something out of like a sci-fi something like me banging on to myself my uh, computer screen and waiting to hear like uh, fragmented audio uh, <laughs> from my peers so I mean that's not really a problem with um, kind of the quality of teaching and the effort that's going in on like the staff level I guess it's just more in terms of the circumstances of many students permits that like we just don't have the quality of wi-fi or technology that is needed for this to succeed at the level that perhaps the university would hope for. Yeah, I agree. I have lots of people in my seminar as well that because all of the teaching is basically they just move the seminars online. People are waking up at like midnight, two or three in the morning just to attend the seminars. Um, and I think although 
there's been I've seen a lot of research about how to get around that just because of the short time frame that everyone's had to move teaching online. I think it hasn't really been realised. Yeah, and I also think um, that given how kind of rapidly the situation is changing and how unnerving that is for most people, even the most psychologically resilient people in the senior management team, I'll probably struggle to make perhaps the most reasonable decisions about online learning and where the university's headed because the whole thing is just a question of ifs and buts and what might happen and I think I just I'm kind of worried that there might be a bit of rushed rushed decision making if we, we have to get whatever happens for the future of you know higher education and online learning right so I think it has to be a slow and steady but also like a decision that's concerted and involves a lot of student engagement. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I think, um, like you said as well, money about things like time zones and sort of even specific technology problems, there's some stuff which is quite hard to maybe realise on a, on a more broad scale, but it, it needs to involve actually talking to students and understanding their exact situations that kind of teases out some of these problems and then solutions can start to be made rather than kind of just applying a blanket solution and assuming it's going to work for everyone when everyone's in, you know, really different living, working technological, geographic situations. Mm -hmm. What about you, Toby? How are you finding? Because you're the only one who has online exams. Yeah. Um, I guess to call them online is probably, compared to other subjects, I guess aren't on so much online. Basically, we've been given our exam questions and we've got a month to produce six essays, basically. So. Um, obviously it requires the internet to do it, but it's not sort of the same as people who've got like these three hour or seven hour or 24 hour periods to log on. Um, so yeah, it's been been a really different experience to what I'd normally be doing at this time of year, you know, revision compared to kind of uh, production. And yeah, it's, it's been sort of hard to adapt, but it's also been quite interesting for me because in some ways this assessment style, I think suits me better. So it's obviously a really, really suboptimal condition, but it is also it's interesting to be trying to learn something different and, and to be kind of approaching assessment in a different way rather than what I'd be doing at this point normally, which is just watching replays over and over again until I can see the matrix. So, yeah, it's been, been interesting. I actually think that assessment is one of the ways which this could be a positive experience because it really does take the focus away from these sort of memory tests, which obviously there's been mm. so much research discrediting them and they're still so popular, but this sort of current crisis has forced everyone to think, well, actually, how can we examine the knowledge that students have learned this term? How can they apply it? Yeah, I guess the status quo is now just simply untenable, given this situation. So mm. all those kind of people who are working on education innovation and do a lot of great research on um, kind of shifting the narrative about kind of the age old Oxbridge techniques um, and rethinking how we, I think the opportunity to rethink education opens up with this crisis, but it also asks, opens up questions as to how we, yeah, execute that in not this kind of catch-all blanket approach where this might suit everyone, so let's do that, because what we're seeing is that actually Toby's found out that he's got, he prefers this kind of assessment 
but he wasn't offered that kind of variety beforehand. So let's offer variety in our online teaching. Yeah, I, I think as well that this, um, like you're saying, and with sort of conclusions you can draw, I think this is a time when we can sort of use this, even if it's enforced experimentation, to feed into future decisions and yeah, hopefully make changes. And I think it's really important to see this as a, an experience for feedback from students to find out what works and what doesn't. But it also, at, sort of on the, on the other side of the same coin, need to be very careful not to make conclusions based off a very strange sort of sample. Um, like you might find that students really, really aren't responding to something, but actually is that because it's not the right teaching method or is it just because of technical difficulties or it just being a really strange situation? So I think lessons really need to be taken from what's happening at the moment, but with a big caveat on it's completely strange and odd conditions and, you know, that needs to be considered. Also, this online learning um, period coincides with assessment period. So we have to be careful when we're measuring engagement, whether the fact that some students are engaging is because they're simply spending all their time writing their dissertations or, you know, preparing for their yeah, assessments. Yeah. So they're not going to these webinars. That's the kind of conversations I've had with peers. I think it's interesting and in just in terms of engagement with the Science of Happiness course that me and Owen both attended this morning, that's had over 700 sign-ups. So I think there is a clear demand for engaging with university. It just has to be quite specific to how it will help people in the lockdown. Like that's yeah. a very clear thing that might make you feel better. It might give you some techniques for coping with it. Um, whereas I think some of the things which sort of assume business as normal haven't been so successful because students are stressed about exams on top of being trapped inside could you just give like a brief overview of what the science of happiness course is in case people haven't heard of it before so the science of happiness course is a bristol futures module it's usually only open to first years um but it's been opened up to all of all of the university um as a sort of test run to see if it's something that people like and it ba it basically gives you techniques with how to raise your mood, examining what makes people happy, examining how that's measured. Um, and you also get sort of little weekly tasks. So this week we have to think of three things we're grateful for every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's not just like a, a lecture kind of being lectured at. It's not that kind of um, way of teaching. It's very much in part uh, based on student participation. And I think Bruce Hood is trying to emphasize that is that it's not enough to just know the techniques and read the book. You do have to practice these methods. If it's mindfulness, practice. If it's gratitude, practice. Find ways of expressing it, find ways of writing it down. And, you know, that kind of stuff is probably going to help because, you know, we've all heard, I mean, from working on well-being, you know, a lot of students, you talk to them and they do know about well-being and they've, had, they've read the articles, there's plenty of them. But whether they've kind of been given that kind of space and outlet to practice it is another matter. And having the incentive to practice is another matter. And um, is that being delivered with synchronous teaching or asynchronous teaching or a mix of both? It's a blended approach, yeah. They've got both a synchronous session and then we submit our kind of activities onto Blackboard, um, which I think is probably the 
most plausible way of doing it is having both options um, there. Mm-hmm. I mean, what have you guys found with uh, asynchronous and synchronous teaching? Have you kind of got any preferences? Would you, I mean, I personally just think, you know, a blended approach with most things is usually the best way to go. Um, but I have found that I have been engaging more with the synchronous stuff just because async, but the time that I would be doing asynchronous activities, I'm just completely overburdened with assessment period. So I'm just doing my assessments rather than the asynchronous activities for my seminars. So it's kind of just a bit like I probably prefer to just have the synchronous activity just to relate to some other human (laughs) rather than me in isolation. I personally prefer the asynchronous teaching approach just because, I mean, I'm not sure if it's because of my poor technology or maybe because um, I don't always enjoy speaking that much in seminars. Um, but asynchronous teaching for me allows allows a bit more space for me to like run on my own time scale because particularly in lockdown, I don't have the focus that I did when it was normal teaching like I find it very hard to concentrate for more than an hour so a two-hour seminar I find really really challenging um also I think asynchronous teaching just gives you a bit more opportunity to just explore the different areas that are out there you get a bit more chance to do different research um and that's what interests me but I I yeah I think I agree with Owen the blended approach clearly seems to be what works and what kind mm. of asynchronous activities are you being offered, Marnie? Because I just don't, I wonder whether the just the asynchronous activities I've been offered have just been less um, engaging, perhaps. Because I've just been offered to fill in a, a shared Word document, which to me mm-hmm. just felt a bit um, mediocre. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so my asynchronous activities they haven't been like crazy complicated um one of them was to watch a film and then there was a series of questions on that um and also we've been really encouraged to use films in our essays which i've found really helpful um another one i have a group project this term so that's mostly about research and that's entirely self self-led so you get to decide the topic Um, And a lot of that has just been sort of like drifting around on the internet, but I've been able to do it in my own time and then link back to my group. I think it's an interesting point that you raised earlier and then you guys talking about synchronous and asynchronous, that it's probably quite different in a lockdown than it would be in sort of actual normal mode of teaching. Um, Mm. And I guess that's something that maybe hasn't been considered as much in the rush to get everything online and try and make everything as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. We haven't sort of sat down and thought, well, in terms of the sort of lockdown context, are people really going to be engaged for extended periods of time, like to their screen? Um, And I think it links into something that we'd mentioned um, about how the University of Manchester have just said that in September, they're going to um, have their students return to campus, hopefully, like if things go okay. Um, but continue their uh, their lectures online because obviously it's hard to social distance in a lecture hall. But they're going to continue um, tutorials and seminars in smaller groups that can be socially distant. So then you're kind of getting this blend of, I guess, asynchronous and asynchronous in the sense that you're doing stuff at home, but also 
in person and online. I just wondered what you guys thought about that. I mean, it's interesting because it is sort of almost the way that I've done university, not necessarily deliberately, but um, I've always, if I can, attended labs and practicals and uh, field trips and things that I've had like that. But um, sometimes just through work or through other commitments or whatever, I haven't been able to always attend lectures. And for me, the way that our lectures are run, at least, there isn't much difference in terms of the teaching and in terms of consuming something online or actually being in the lecture and in fact I kind of prefer um, online lectures in some ways because I can pause it I can google stuff uh, and and if I can't keep up with my note taking which I struggle with then that's fine I can just slow it down or speed it up so um, yeah I think I think that kind of mix of in-person stuff where you're really going to benefit from being there in person and digital teaching where actually it being digital doesn't maybe make that much of a difference might be sort of a good a good model while uh, to, to sort of slowly move back into physical universities. I think at like a pastoral level as well, having seminars in person really helps academics and staff members kind of gauge a sense of like checking in and knowing who's attending and it because they can visualise how many people that are meant to attend the seminar, they've turned up if someone's not there, they it's easier to clock in than perhaps on a webinar when you're already dealing with tech and then you've got to try and um, process all this different information. So I also think the one thing I thought is that whatever happens, I just hope that the move online doesn't threaten pastoral and tutorial support for students. And sometimes that is be- that relatedness between academics and students is best cultivated face to face. Yeah, I, d- I definitely think um, it's sort of it's not too difficult with with the technology we've got. Obviously, depending on everyone's situation, but it's not too difficult to keep up with uh, maybe friends that you you've had for a long time or people that you know quite well. But because of kind of the awkwardness of of digital calling and stuff, and it's it's quite difficult to to get to know new people. I feel, um, and I think that's maybe not so much of a problem for uh, people who are outgoing from the uni, but for for incoming first years. Um, I think it's going to be a, a, a really odd situation for them, and I think having some kind of in-person contact with their course mates would be would be really beneficial if it's safe and if it's possible. Yeah, it's interesting to think how um, this could affect learning in the future, and whether we'll take things from this and sort of blend online learning even further into the curriculum. Particularly as you said, Toby, with um, you usually watching your lectures from home anyway. And it tends to be a much easier way to do things, whether this sort of like new method of teaching as we sort of ease out of lockdown will become a more permanent thing. And perhaps sort of online lectures are the kind of things that will continue and allow maybe more time in when you have your personal like contact hours to be in like a closer space to ha- like maybe more engaged discussion. It's kind of hard to weigh out what, what will happen, because I think in the current situation, there's so many ifs and buts and with the contingency of it all um but i do think it's probably a good time to give the option to do things online for just in terms of widening access to education anyway so if you know a student is working part-time to help pay for their fees and they can't attend in person a lot of their lectures or seminars to have that perhaps option to tune in via an online mechanism will be useful but I don't think it should be like a prescribed um, we are you know catch-all approach um, 
because yeah I think I think it boils down to like what some students motivations for going to university are and I think some people's vision of university really won't be this whole sitting behind a screen to get my de degree vision because that's not kind of what they've grown up with whereas some people are a bit more open-minded to seeing you know how ever-changing nature of modern society might see this as a great opportunity to connect with more people gather more information quicker you know cultivate time management and efficiency so yeah it is a matter again of reaching out to students and asking kind of the more deeper questions like what 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 do you expect from university when you apply do you what do you expect from online teaching what are the uh, boundaries for your kind of engagement mm. uh, yeah I, I do hope if um if kind of there is something learned from from this whole experience for universities or you know if something's carried over it is the idea of optionality and and that there isn't there isn't an approach that suits all students like you said oh, and everyone's got different motivations for coming to uni and um, everyone's got, I think, that this crisis has sort of highlighted the different access to technology and, and workspace at home uh, access that students have. And I think, I think I'd really, really love to see Bristol and other universities take on the kind of optionality approach and allow students to, to some degree, build their degree in terms of their assessment, their learning and the way they're taught uh, for themselves in the way that works for them. I think on that point, on like offering options from like a well-being point of view as well, I think because from the research I've looked at, offering like loads of options with no kind of kind of roadmap or guidelines or kind of no kind of advice on what might benefit you can actually be quite anxiety inducing. And I'm noticing the difference personally from like feeling less anxious about like fear of missing out and like you know less rushed because I'm in lockdown um because I guess I've got you know my kind of periphery and horizon is so much smaller I have less things to choose from um so I I know I only say this is because Bruce Hood as offers in this uh, science of happiness course like there is um access to this nudge app which is kind of like frames itself as a personal coach it's a kind of and I've heard this in before is that an idea of bringing kind of more personal coaches and like um, academic coaches into universities. So not just people who are counselors and therapists dealing with mental health problems, but people are just, you know, helping like prompt students wherever they want to go. So, you know, a, new, a first year coming in might not know whether asynchronous or synchronous suits them or whether sitting in front of a screen suits them better or whether you know being around others doing practicals is better so kind of just getting to know the person and what they value is probably and then that coach saying okay this probably suit this is probably the pathway for you then mm. yeah for sure i think also this offers up like quite a unique opportunity for students and staff to talk to each other partly because it is so as we said earlier it's so crucial that student voice is really listened to at this time, partly because online teaching just won't won't succeed if they don't listen to what students want. Um, but also because, like I know lots of people this year who who want something more from their personal from their personal tutor, 
whether that be that they want their personal tutor to set deadlines for their dissertation, or whether they wish they knew their personal tutor a bit better. Um, so using these sort of apps and new sort of technologies, it does offer up a really new way of communicating. Mm -hmm. I guess what's interesting there with the sort of personal tutor um, comment is that um, I guess in some places people hope that their personal tutor will be sort of like an academic guide for them and then a lot of other people sort of see their personal tutor as more of a pastoral figure. And I guess we have a difficulty in that personal tutors are usually just academics and I don't know whether they um, like choose to be personal tutors or whether it's something most academics have to do. But I think it's maybe we could consider something like Owen saying with these coaches, somebody that's more like dedicated to pastoral care rather than an academic that's also got all their teaching and all their own research. And then on top of it, they've got sort of maybe 10 second years who are looking for that extra bit of pastoral care and support. And perhaps we should consider a sort of system like that. Because obviously in halls, there's, um, well, when I was in halls, we had senior residents, but I don't know. Don't know how halls work anymore. <laughs> no, that's not there anymore. Um, which is a shame. And I think there's certain, you know, there's a whole conversation around that kind of pastoral support in halls and the new kind of well-being agenda that the university has put forward. Um, but with, the, I guess, with the with the personal coach thing, because it would, my vision of it is like a prescribed thing like a personal tutor, but instead of it being like purely pastoral it's more like personal development careers advisors but you know going to uh, getting that face-to-face -face contact with a careers advisor is actually quite hard to to do if you've had experience um entering the career service because it's so it's such in high demand but it is in high demand for a reason because i think people are going not only for their cv you know um editing they're going because they're like i need help i need to know like i i don't know my direction i need i need I need a little kind of orientation of where I'm heading. I don't know how to manage my time. I'm a bit of a scatterbrain. I've said that many of times since these four years of being in this degree. Is that <laughs> my head's all over the place. I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, university can often feel like that because it's so different from sixth form where, you know, and school where you do have a lot of contact time with people. So help, having those people to help you transition to less contact time and being more have developing your own initiative and your own kind of routine you know that is going to help especially the first years because i think that would have alleviated a lot of my burden trying to make sense of it all i think there's something else as well which i guess kind of leads on for this because this is something that um you know uh, some a, a coach or that kind of role could help with but I think for me, the the crisis and the effect on university has really shown how important it is that university develops kind of the non-academic, what, what people often call softer skills, um, and that students need to be adaptable. Things are going to happen. You might suddenly lose access to information. You might not be able to study in the same way you normally can. And what you're actually taking away from university, like I probably I'm not going to remember a lot of the content for my third year modules now because I've had, I haven't really revised the way I normally would. But what the value for me that I'm going to take away is the skills that I've developed, the fact that I can adapt to different situations. And that's what's really going to help. And I think the uni needs to make sure it's 
really focusing on developing people rather than you know just filling them with knowledge for, for when situations like this happen or just in general uh, and kind of shoring up students for kind of graduating into a world that we might have no idea what it's going to look like and um, and so that they're adaptable and prepared for that. Yeah and I think this is also another really key point about assessments going forward is making sure that students understand why they're doing things and what they're getting from it because it is really easy in lockdown if you feel like a task doesn't really matter to just not do it <laughs> like that's yeah, definitely yeah. Something. with the tasks that I don't really feel are that valuable I, I just won't do them because it's hard to focus anyway and also you're so concerned about all of the other things going on that if you're having to write a hundred word reflection on a 40-page article that you don't think is necessary for your essay, there's just no way that students are going to do it. But if you understand the skills you're developing for it and how you can apply that later on, I think that's probably a more engaging way of approaching it. Definitely. I think as well, um, with what Toby was saying about how the assessment you're doing now is quite different to the exams and you're not just regurgitating information. I wonder if that's maybe the start to a more authentic process of um, assessment because, like you say, realistically, in the real world, to use that phrase that everybody hates, um, <laughs> in, the, in the real world, um, you would just be able to like look up the answers in a sort of memory-based quiz and it's that's not really um, a skill that you're going to apply elsewhere, whereas a different kind of assessment that doesn't just rely on the knowledge that you've remembered and can regurgitate in a three-hour exam, perhaps that is a step towards a more authentic set of assessments that we can, we as students can understand how that those skill sets can relate to the sort of outside world. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Although I, I think there's something that this has made clear to me as well um, with changing our assessments is that I think if you're going to change assessment, and obviously I really believe that they should. I think it needs to be brought in as early as possible and um, and it is made, yeah, like made clear to students what, what they're doing things for because this has, and I think uh, speaking to other people in my course, they found the same, this has been really, really tough for us because we're so used to one way of learning and one way of being assessed and then suddenly we're getting these same questions but having to approach them in a completely different way and you know, in a different, if I had more time, if we weren't in the middle of a global crisis, there's a lot I could gain from this and I'd love to be able to, it's nice being challenged but obviously the uni didn't have a choice in this case but for, you know, just to have a different assessment method kind of put upon you and suddenly you've got to completely change up the way you've been learning for two years is difficult so I think slowly and, and surely changing assessment methods and starting with first years and bringing that in is, is really important but I think it is something that needs to be done and I think it's something that would really benefit everyone. Mm -hmm. And I guess what we're all kind of touching on here with the because we the word of adaptability was brought up and having variety in assessment helps with those interpersonal and soft skills where you need to be adaptable so we need to have various different assessments where we can adapt to mm. them so gearing students up for years after years of either writing essays in my case or doing examinations in your case toby it's just it lacks that kind of sense of what emily was saying either the real world or the post-university world whatever you want to call call it where you just your, your time isn't spent doing only one style of uh, content creation or whatever you're, you're going to use various different means 
This is like definitely something that links into research-informed teaching um, and something that was brought up at the Education Committee when they discussed research-informed teaching um, about how often the sort of idea of RIT, research-informed teaching, is to just give students one big research project at the end of their three or four year course, like as we have dissertations. Um, but often that comes as like a big shock in the, in the same way that you're saying about assessment changing now because they haven't been given the freedom or the capacity to do an extended research project for two and a half years and then suddenly at the end of their degree a lot rides on it and they haven't built those skills up before. Um, and Hillary, the um, SU education officer, was talking about how we need to change the timeline of university degrees and start like right from when students coming in, start challenging those ideas that they have of, of assessment and grades and build like give them independence in research projects or different forms of assessment in this case right from the beginning so that as they work throughout their degree they get more and more familiar with that so that when it comes to the third year and it counts the most they're prepared for it and they're not just sort of shocked into a new method of assessment that comes last minute. Mm -hmm. I think uh, also um, I know you're um, putting together something uh, talking to students about their research projects, Emily, and how they felt about it. And you sent me a few questions to kind of have a look at, and it really got me thinking. Um, and one thing I, I thought about as well was um, my research project was uh, really, really interesting. It was it was hugely challenging, but it was great. But I learned so much from it. But it's stuff that the kind of things where you're like, oh, if I did that again, I'd know what to do. And it's stuff where if I did it a second time, I would improve massively. And it would be, it would be a really beneficial learning experience to be able to have figure something out and then to, to apply it to um, something in the future. Uh, and I haven't had that chance really because we just do one big, we do little sort of practicals, but in terms of research, we do one big research project and that's it. And unless I choose to do a master's or whatever, I'm not going to be able to apply that directly. So yeah, being able to kind of iteratively build on your skills and apply them to new situations is, is really important. Definitely. Okay then, so just to round off, um, I thought I'd ask one thing that you guys have been doing that keeps you motivated throughout this lockdown. Oh, well, I've actually been doing a lot of like, like physical activity, like around the house, like, so like what I found like in the libraries and in working in an office is that I've always wanted to do like stretch breaks or like, you know, like if you're getting a bit agitated or anxious, just like shake it off. So I just now write around my house because I've got like space in my room, just go around dancing, doing like squats, just just shaking yeah. off any kind of like inattention yeah. that I've got. <laughs> and I find that just like having like if I'm knowing that if you're listening to my body, I guess, like if I'm feeling agitated at the, my desk, go with that, do something else, come back to it rather than sitting with it and then being like, I'm just going to turn my screen off. So like, just being listening to my body a bit more helps. I am. Um... I haven't been quite as active, unfortunately, but um, I've been trying to um, read quite a lot more. I think at uni, I've never really been that motivated to read because you spend all day kind of reading papers and, and which are designed to be the most boring things in the world to read. Um, but actually, I've had some time now to kind of sit down and read stuff that I just want to read because it's interesting and read fiction. Um, and it's been really nice because I'm not staring at a screen for a bit. Uh, and kind of I'm just using different parts of my brain that I haven't been using all day and that's that's been nice and that I think has kept kept me um kept me going and kept my brain from stagnating I think similarly to Toby I've been doing activities that I don't usually have time to do at university so I've been cooking recipes that take an obscenely long time I've been baking bread which is actually a really good way to break up the day 
I've just genuinely been transitioning into a 15th century woman. Um, <laughs> as it turns out, 15th century women have some thick hobbies, so... <laughs> I don't, I've been um, trying to change the way I sort of look at how I work, because I think often we let it get past us that we think, oh, well, if normally I'd be in uni, I'd be doing like a nine to five day, but there's no way you'd be doing a nine to five day. Like if I actually counted the hours I sit and write my thesis in, in like a normal circumstance, it's probably only about four hours a day because the rest of the time I like go for coffee or I meet someone or you chat to somebody in the library. So I've been trying to like reassure myself with that and just work in the mornings and then spend my afternoons, like you say, doing things that you don't always get to do when you're sort of mm. procrastinating mm. in the library. <laughs> Yeah, you, you can't go to Parsons and accidentally somehow make it last two hours when you're at home, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just to finally touch on this point of like feeling like you're getting your timetable wrong and your routine wrong in lockdown, just remember like you're not you're not working from home. You're like at home during a pandemic, and you're trying to work. And that's a big difference. We've not been like, oh, you know, I'm going to just volunteer myself to work home. It's a very different set of circumstances. So don't ap apply the self-criticism in the same standard. I say that as someone who's been doing it for weeks and I'm now I'm saying no. <laughs> I think that's really good advice. OK, so I think we'll end it there. But it's been really great to chat about the way we all experience lockdown. Take yeah. care, everyone. Bye. Take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye.